Welcome. <laughs> you just heard my guests laugh at the little, there's a little voice at the start of these that you guys don't hear. And maybe I'll edit this out, but maybe I won't. <laughs> Welcome to yet another episode of When a Guy Has a Really Fucked Gender. As always, I'm your host, Jolene, and I'm not sure what order these are going to come out, but we have a Patreon now. You might have heard of this before. This might be your first time hearing of this. There will be a link in the episode description. I don't know exactly what sort of content I'll be putting on there or at what intervals. I'm hoping to do like some book reviews. I've got some other ideas. Generally, my thought is it'll be anything that sort of makes sense as a podcast that I think would be fun for me to do and fun for someone else to listen to that is not just the sort of like main feed interview style um, episodes that I've been doing up until now. Um, So those won't be going anywhere. Those will still be happening at the same rate that they're happening now. Um, But there'll be more when a guy has a really fucked gender content for you to to sink your teeth into. Um, yeah, you can get that for basically any amount of money. Give me any amount of money and I'll, I'll give you the episodes. Yeah, I have with me today my friend Molly. Molly, would you like to say hello to the audience? Hello, audience. And Molly, how would you describe your gender? Um, I am a woman. Okay. Hell yeah. And we'll use my typical defense that every woman, woman is just a fucked gender to begin with. So It's such a fucked gender. Yeah. How, how do you feel that woman is fucked? Um, well... It's like, and I think this, um, I think this goes along with, uh, a lot of my ideas generally about gender and transness, but, but like womanhood is very much this artificial structure, um, that I think because of, um, the sort of history of that abjection on it comes off as, like, especially constructed in a way that masculinity often evades. And so the idea of embracing womanhood is oftentimes, like, I mean, you you see this a lot with, like, gender abolitionists and whatnot, or, or, you know, some sort, some sorts of very radical feminists, but, like, that, like, embracing womanhood, embracing femininity is sort of like a betrayal, you know? So that's how I think it's fucked. But I also think it's fucked in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's good about that? Um I don't know. I think art uh artificiality, um that sort of artificiality that people do make out of it is you know, beautiful in its own way. Um I think artificiality is often leveraged as a negative thing, um, especially when it pertains to like real life, but like artificiality and artifice and art all are the same thing. Um, and as 
someone who thinks art is very important and has spent most of my life dedicated to art. Um, I think that, um, I think that embracing that constructedness of femininity is really lovely. Do you make art? Um, I do sometimes. I'm not very consistent with it, um, but I've written, I've made um, short films. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, how, how have you made art your entire life? Yeah. Um, I started writing and making short films when I was a teenager. Um, it was, it's really funny. I just actually rewatched some of them recently. And when I was a teenager who, I was never a very masculine child, um, very gender, uh, ambivalent, although I didn't really have the facility to describe any sort of queerness beyond like gay, straight, bi, whatever. But, um... One of my, I was also like a very um, solitary teenager. Um, I was social and whatnot, but like it never really extended out of that. And so a lot of my short films were just me, like playing multiple parts. And I came up with a recurring bit that one of the characters in the film was like the average Joe. And so I'd wear, like, a really big, obviously fake, like, handlebar mustache um, in the films. And that would be, like, one of the personas who was usually, like, really absurd and whatnot. But um, it was funny rediscovering that after years of not thinking about it in response to the fact that I'm now uh, a woman, in case... Just to, just to lay it out there, since I didn't really bring it up earlier, I am obviously a trans woman. Um, yeah. All right. All right. Well, so that's interesting. I'm thinking of there's, I've never actually managed to track it down. Um, but one of my former guests, Ephraim, told me that she once came across like an old school typology of um, trans women that one of the one of the sort of types was um, foistered, which um, I feel like I've encountered. I feel like that's like one of those things where I'm like, oh, yes, I, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> Wait, what, what is it called? cloistered you know like sort of like 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 solitary like oh just oh kind sure of like keeps to themselves yeah yeah no that was i mean that was that was definitely me and um honestly a lot of like my gender formation happened so internally um i mean you know like i was on tumblr and everything as a teenager but like it doesn't seem to have like on beyond any like superficial engagement. Like I wasn't one of those Tumblr accounts that like really talked at length about themselves. But um, like my earliest like times where I really feel like I was exploring femininity as a teenager was like 
alone in the bathroom looking into this mirror that we had that was like it was very big so you could like see your entire body and everything and I remember like at night before I would like take a shower or whatever I would just spend sometimes like like a half hour just like looking at my body and looking at myself and sort of like I don't know what I was even doing like part of me is like oh I was looking for the feminine parts of me and part of me was like I was just looking I remember posing stuff like that um and yeah, it always made me feel really good when I seemed a little feminine. Um, although at the time, there was like no language formation going on. Um, so it like never really went beyond like this emotionally intuitive thing, which I think, I think always influenced me. And I think I've always sort of identified more with women um, rather than um, men. Um, yeah. No, okay. I mean that that makes a lot of sense. I think that the sort of the internal identity formation is um that's a really interesting, right? You sort of um it was definitely something I experienced to some degree and I I've known a lot of other people that have experienced that sort of had something going on and have talked to people about that on the show before it's a really interesting i don't know like what sort of i don't know what what kinds of things how are you like thinking about yourself did you really think about yourself as like sexed as a teenager or as like a maybe even like prior to teenagehood did you like think of yourself like particularly gendered or were you did you kind of um try to keep away from some of that stuff or just sort of like find um, well, you know, find ways of existing on your own terms or something like that. I, it was very difficult. I had a very unusual, well, I don't know that it was unusual. Um, I had a very peculiar upbringing in that my mom was very, my mom was very open about everything and never really judged us for what we wanted to do. So, like, I played with Barbies when I was, like, four or five or whatever. And then I remember, you know, a series of other things that I sort of was interested in over the years. Um, but um, my dad, on the other hand, he he was never very masculine. Um, not that he was feminine in any way, but he he wasn't one of those guys who, like, is like, uh, oh, let me, let me go play ball with you or whatever. Um, but he had, and he had long hair. And so when I was like, I don't know, third grade, I started growing my hair out. And I think that, I think that it was always very difficult to like recognize how that fell gender wise because that was such a normal thing in my household you know because my dad had really long hair and I mean like really long hair I mean like a full ponytail and everything um and uh and so when I started growing my hair out it wasn't like a feminine thing although of course you know 
other kids in school were like, whoa, what's up with that? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but, um, but yeah. Um, and so when I finally did like become a teenager, like a lot of things like long hair and, you know, being really interested in like women in like movies and stuff, like it never really, I never really felt a, a judgment on it. At the same time though, like I never liked masculine clothing. Um, I mean like specifically masculine clothing. So like uh, dress shirts and, you know, collars and stuff like that. I guess collars aren't really gendered, but you know what I mean? Um, and so I would wear like t-shirts and jeans like every single day. And I never really like, I remember like my older brother started wearing skinny jeans and stuff like that. And I like never liked it. I was a bit of like a prude and like almost reactionary as a, as a teenager. I think mostly just in response to my older brother who um, I had a very strained relationship with. Um, but and yeah, I mean, I wore the same clothes, more or less, for like a decade. Like, obviously not the exact same clothes, but like, more or less the same clothes, the same style of clothes, until I transitioned, basically, minus like one or two things. Um, although it's actually really funny, when I was 15, my mom got me this like very soft, very thin, um, graphic t-shirt that was John Lennon. Um, we were a big rock family. Everybody in my family really liked rock music and everything. Um, and I remember very vividly the day I got it. I had been watching Easy A, which I was like obsessed with when I was 15 or 16 or whenever it came out. Um, and she came home with that shirt and I put it on and I thought I looked so cute in it and I loved it. And I've had that shirt since then. And actually when I first transitioned, I sort of put away all my boy clothes. I got rid of most of them, but for whatever reason, I kept a couple of them, including that one. And like a year ago, I pulled it out and was like, let me see how this looks on me now that, you know, I've been on hormones a while, I have breasts, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I put it on and I loved it. And it, it, it was actually so big that it was like, like basically a t-shirt dress. Like I've worn it several times, like with just like a pair of leggings and whatnot. Um, and yeah, so it's, so that shirt sort of is like a great like side point for me just in ha in like the ways I have changed and the ways I haven't um because it's like it's like in many ways I am still the same person as I was um but in other ways um you know I obviously I'm not um but in the, those ways are great too cuz I don't know. It was never it was never that I didn't like the clothes I did wear. It was just that I had like a very strained relationship with 
my body that once again, I don't think I was ever fully able to articulate um, and was never really fully able to come to grips with. Um, just that, like, there, like, like my body was very private. Like I didn't want, I never wanted to wear shorts. I never really was super comfortable, um, like changing in the dressing room around other guys, which I think was more of a, of a social thing than, than necessarily a body image thing. But, um, always very uncomfortable with my body, which is something I think I inherited from the ways my dad thought about his own body and sort of interacted with us about our bodies. Um, it was a very like prudish household without being like puritanical. Like, there wasn't any religion or anything like that. It was just like, we were all very uncomfortable talking about our bodies, especially with each other. Um, but yeah. And so, yeah, it was a sort of like very like untroubled in a way relationship with, with sex and with gender. Um, I never really, I never really thought about it. I never really felt like that was, and it was weird because I know I knew about trans people. Um, but I don't, it doesn't seem to have registered with me. I, 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 I look back at all the things I came across on Tumblr or whatever and how little an impact they made on me and how little they registered in my mind. Um, the one, the one big difference is, um, when I was like 12 or so, I discovered like what lesbians were. Um, and it was like this very fascinating thing and not in like a sexual way or anything. Um, it was almost like pre-sexual or like just divorced from sexuality. It was more just like a, I don't even know, just like this hypnotic draw to me. Um, and like, it came largely through like fan fiction and whatnot. Um, I was really into Miley Cyrus. And so I watched a lot of Hannah Montana. Um, and so like, when I was like 13 and 14, like that was a thing. And then, um, and then it became Glee and that sort of sprouted just generally into like, like lesbian Tumblr community where like, it was like, oh, they're so in love. They love each other, blah, 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 blah. And I don't know, just this, this very strong draw to like this, this lesbian love that I both identified with, but also felt myself completely unable to access. Um, and, uh, and actually that was a big part of when I finally did transition. Um, 
coming to grips with like accepting myself as a woman and accepting myself as a lesbian, um, which always sort of was the thing. When you asked me what my gender is, I really should have said I'm a lesbian or I'm femme or something like that, because that's been the, in like the crucial identification point in good and bad ways with my gender. Um, I think my obsession, well, not obsession, I think my fixation on like cis lesbian relationships um, was ultimately kind of damaging for me because it provided me an emotional fulfillment in art and in culture and in imagery and in my own imagination um, that that meant that I didn't need to go to gay men to see myself represented in um, or a larger sense of um, solidarity with with queer men, with gender nonconforming men, um, with people born male um, who transgress gender boundaries. Because um, I was I always felt so securely nestled with identifying with women who love women. Um, I know when Blues the Warmest Color came out, that was a huge deal for me. And when Carol came out, that was huge. Um, like, I was always very, like, like oh, yes, more lesbians in my life. Um, but I'm rambling. No, it's good. I, I, I love getting there. There's usually a good, like, first there's usually a good ramble somewhere in like the first 20 minutes that is is really really wonderful um <laughs> i took a lot of notes during that maybe not a lot i took some notes during that though oh interesting um <laughs> what sort, of, sort note? of what note go through well <laughs> the first one i i mean they're just things that i wanted to go back and ask yeah you about. ask like, me um, your older ask me things your older brother what's what's up with your older brother um i have two brothers um my older brother is actually non-binary um i have nothing really to say about them unless you wanted to go freudian or psychoanalysis and like really go back to childhood because i have not had an extended conversation with either of my siblings in um I mean, honestly, depending on the parameters for extended conversation, you could go back like a decade. Um, we just do not talk. And I personally have no interest in uh, uh, talking to them. <laughs> or, you know, I think that, well, that was another thing, I think. Growing up with two siblings and all three boys, you hear a lot of all boys or stuff like that. that I think makes you... Um, both uh, encased by gender as well as uh, resentful of it. Um, and my mom was very big about trying to treat us all equally, which I think came out in gendered ways as well, because we all sort of were always doing the same thing growing up and whatnot. But at the same time, I, I think... When I turned 15 or so, I got really into reading and film and everything like that. And I think 
I think that marked a huge break between my childhood and my adulthood or, or my young adulthood in that case. Um, cause I really did begin to like formulate myself as like an intellectual being and like an emotional being in ways that I feel like as a child, I was just void, avoid. I don't, I don't think there is really anything there, there <laughs> in me as a child, which I don't know if I'm being harsh on myself or if that's just the nature of children, but, um, uh, I discovered old Hollywood around the age of 15. I discovered James Joyce. And Joyce is another great example of like, I read fucking Ulysses. Is that the first time I cursed this entire time? That's insane. Um, I read Ulysses when I was 16 or 17. And um, there's a whole fucking thing about Loom becoming a woman in one of the episodes. And I remember it. I remember very vividly the whole thing, but it, it did not register to me in any other capacity that I can recall um, as someone who was like trying to formulate my gender. Um, and I know by the age of 17 or 18, I was definitely feeling like gendery things. Like I know for one thing, I told a girl I was deeply in love with who I'd had a very complicated relationship with. Um, I, um, I told her I didn't think I was a boy. And she, um, she didn't respond very positively. Um, not that she was like reactive against it, but she sort of like changed the subject and then said something that sort of discouraged me about the whole thing. And I think I sort of, I think that did a, did a number on me, but, um, this was all the story about me having an older brother. I really, yeah, I don't really have much to much to say. Well, you said something about having a sort of strange relationship with him. And, oh, strange. Uh, I wish I'd... Strange, really. Strange. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, yeah, it, was, I... <laughs> it wasn't super okay. strange. But, I mean, it was... No, that's okay. No, but, you know, in a way, it was a... It was always very indirect. It sort of always was mediated by my dad because a lot of... I've always had a pretty good relationship with my dad who was a pretty violent temper um, growing up, but um, my older brother did not. And so he and my dad would get into fights a lot. And, um, and my older brother was much more faddish than me. Um, you know, he was really into scene music and he was really into emo and he was into this and he was into that. And so he wore like, he was very metrosexual. Um, uh, as, as, uh, we said at the time. And, um, and I think I, I think I reacted against that stronger than I would have otherwise simply by the fact that I didn't really like my brother or didn't really have a good relationship with him. Um, and so I sort of took on the, like, con culturally conservative attitude of, like, my dad, um, which, uh, which again was like very like unconscious. It just sort of happened. Um, but um, yeah. What other notes did you have? 
Um, the the fact that you had the same style for a decade. You yeah, wore, like, the same. I wore. I wore. <laughs> what, was, what was this specific? Oh, you know, I actually was known in high school as uh, as Jesus for a really long time because um, I had really long hair, really long brown hair. I had. I had a beard, not like a full beard. I've never been able to grow a full beard, but I had like a like a really shaggy beard that I would keep for like months at a time for no reason. I didn't like it. I hated my beard, but I kept it for some reason. And I would wear baggy jeans, usually with rips, and I would wear t-shirts. Um, and I would wear sandals. I wore sandals like every day of my life basically um one time a classmate of mine unpromptedly i was sitting next to him and he said you know you're a real sicko f scott fitzgerald would be dying if he was around you the way you wear those sandals all the time which i thought was so funny um um but yeah just very i mean i looked and then i had my glasses were a little different i had like wireframe glasses that were like narrower and um yeah so i was sort of like a mini hippie it was very like inspired by my dad but also like inspired by my absolute hatred of like masculine clothing um as well as like metrosexual clothing i didn't like that either you know like i hated skinny jeans i hated like this two small t-shirts um I hated bracelets and all those sorts of things. Um, for whatever reason, I there's no real explanation. Um, I did like, I would have, I would also wear baggy sweatshirts um, that I always felt very cute in. Um, and again, I think that was like the extent to which I was able to like recognize like gender euphoria in myself is like, oh, I feel cute in this. But without saying it out loud in a way that sounded, you know, whatever. Um, and I was very into, I've, I've always been interested in like queerness and um, I was always one of the kids who like took part in like uh, the day of silence that they did in high school for like mm -hmm. um, uh, children who have taken their lives and from career bullying and whatnot. And uh, I was always, I was always very invested in that, but sort of contemptuous at the same time of like any sort of like queer culture, which I didn't get much access to. And I even, there is one trans kid at my school who I just didn't really understand. I like had no issues, but like, I I could never keep I could never I was one of those people who could never keep straight trans men and trans women like who was who, um, yeah, uh, not even in like a malicious way. It was just like it was like it would come up and like I would be confused and then it would disappear and I wouldn't think about it again, um, without ever being like, whoa, you can change your gender. That's crazy. Um, the first. The first big moment in my gender experience was 
in my photo class. My photo class was really interesting. It was senior year. I was the only, I was one of two boys in the class of like eight or nine people. The rest were women. The teacher was a woman. And it was a very chill class. We sort of just hung out and did whatever a lot of the time. And um, the other boy was not popular. Um, he was he was uh, not super sociable and whatnot. Um, and so, like, I got I was kind of at times like the only the only boy in the class. Um, and at the end of the year, one of the photo assignments for the last semester was gender bend. Um, and so one of my classmates put makeup on me, not a lot of makeup, but, you know, put eyeliner on me and lipstick and maybe something else and, um, and took pictures of me. And I felt so beautiful. I felt so incredible. Um, and I kept the makeup on and went to my last class of the day with it and loved the attention I was getting. And, uh, and again, it was like, I, I still did not feel that I had access to womanhood. I, I, I felt that I had access to like gender queerness, that I could be like something else, but not, I, I never felt that I could be a woman, um, ironically, but I felt so good in this makeup and, and then I didn't do. That's really interesting. No, 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 go on. Well, I was going to say that's it. That's really interesting because one of the other notes, right, I have is later on in that in that ramble, you were talking about how your the way that you kind of like found yourself kind of like existing in this sort of the the way that you were sort of able to like invest and um, participate in like sort of like lesbian cultural cultural stuff like Carol and Blue is the warmest color. Um, sort of divested you maybe i don't know if that's a, a word that you would think is appropriate there but it, it caused you to not necessarily have to go to see like sort of um a queer a queer male whatever you, we mean by male the sort of like that kind of side yeah. of of things um and you said that you thought that that was damaging if i recall yeah, yeah. correctly no i think i think i think it was yeah how how so? Can you speak a little well, bit more about what you mean by damaging? Well, by what by damaging, of... I I mean um I mean sort of in the way that you know it's interesting thinking about it. It's funny talking about gender and like barely touching on like the now. You know, like I really am like excavating all this all this time where from before, which I feel sort of very distant from now, but, um, damaging in that, um, damaging in the way that, like, overly relying on cis women as a trans woman, um, to be your role models and your, your style icons and this and that and the other thing can be damaging to, to trans women. Um, uh, because I think, I think any trans woman with a healthy relationship to their own gender and their own body and everything like that, I think I think most of us do feel that our womanhood is not relative to cis women. Our womanhood is 
internal um, or self-contained um, insofar as gender is ever self-contained. Um, but so that when you do feel that your womanhood is validated by its proximity to cis womanhood, I think that's always damaging. Um, and I think, I think if I had met just one trans woman who identified as a lesbian, um, I think that would have totally altered my relationship with my own gender because I think for the longest time I saw these things as completely separate entities or completely unrelated. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that. I think. I mean, I don't really... You're listening to me. Did that all make sense? No, it does. I think that there's this weird sort of... Yeah, I, I, I haven't exactly heard it articulated like that, but I definitely think that there's a way in which, like, it's easy to sort of, like, create this when you're a teenager, when you're young. Um, it's easy to sort of, like, find this thing that you're like, okay, I like that a lot, but I also can't have it, and I will just sort of interact with it from a distance or sort of admire from a distance and it's sort of easy to think that that's like a sustainable way to well exist, and you know but... what you know what else well and you know what you know what the big thing what? is um is that i so i spent my entire teenage years basically watching movies or reading books or whatever like that like i did not live a very active lifestyle um and so with like with like these images of lesbians sort of the the thing about the classic thing about lesbians is the fact that they exclude men. I mean this is sort of the point of Carol for instance is that no men allowed, you know, it's sort of a space that is inaccessible to men. Um and so when you're watching these things, when I was, wa I don't, I shouldn't say when you, when I was watching these things and sort of felt so emotionally asp aspirational towards it, like that was what I wish I could have been. Um, I think the fact that there was no space for me in it, that I saw no space for me in it, was what was so damaging about it because it meant that I never felt impelled to go out and and find spaces like that in the real world because it did not it just never computed you know um yeah okay tell me I'm wrong um no i won't no nah, well i'm you know it's i it's so difficult because you know i say things and i've never thought of them before and then i hear them out loud and i'm like was that what i meant <laughs> <laughs> but um but you know i mean yeah i obviously don't think that you know lesbian things well and it was also you know the other thing is you know, being a teenage boy or whatever, um, who likes lesbians, 
um, is kind of uncomfortable too because I don't think it's this way really as much anymore. It might still be. I'm not a young person. But when I was growing up, when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, which I was at the end of the, or the beginning of the Obama era, um, like, that was, like, peak of lesbian fetishization, more or less. You know, that was, like, it was, like, lesbians were, like, sexy. Um, and, uh, and so it was very uncomfortable trying to um, be interested in that in a in a way that didn't make me feel like a pervert or whatever. Um, it was actually interesting. I last year rediscovered a TV show I had watched about lesbians called South of Nowhere. Two of the main characters lands, and it was really fascinating because. Now that I have transitioned and everything, I, my like style feels like somewhat like subconsciously influenced by one of the lesbians in the show. Um, it was really funny. It was also really funny because one of the big things I really liked about lesbian fiction, lesbian you know, lesbian texts, was I loved like the coming out. I loved like the secret. Um, I love that aspect of it. I always thought it was so dramatic and so exciting. And like one of the episodes of South of Nowhere, um, the main character's mom walks in on her with another girl. It's like this huge to do. And that scene was like so fascinating to me. And I like watched it over and over again. And it was like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's almost like you could get so Freudian with this. It's almost like, like trying to relive a trauma that you never experienced of like, can I reveal like, like this like cathartic desire for like a revelation? Cause I never talked to my parents about my queerness or at least my dad. I came up a couple times with my mom, but never at length. Um, but with my dad, it was just like never a subject and I never wanted it to be a subject. Cause I never, I didn't think he would react very well. Um, he was sort of casually homophobic, I think. Um, that, to my mind, came off as more seriously homophobic than it was. Not to apologize for homophobia in any way or whatsoever. But, you know, it's the different... It's, you know... It's the fucking guy who has gay friends and, you know, has no issue with that. Um, but we'll say, like, faggot or something. Um, that sort of casual homophobia is what I mean. Um, um, but, but yeah, um, <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? I have no idea. What were we talking about? Um, well, I was asking you about the sort of, like, the lack of ability. Oh, right, right, right. To, yeah. So I guess, like, the sort of way that you, like, you you found queerness to be something that you couldn't participate in. Or that I didn't want to uh. participate. I never wanted to participate in it when it was men. And when it was women, I felt I couldn't. Is really, I suppose, the thesis statement of the entire thing. Um, and then I, the only... The only uh, gender divergence 
that I had familiarity with as a young person was drag queens. Um, and I hated drag culture um, in a way that was probably a little homophobic. Um, but also just like that wasn't my thing. I didn't go to parties. Um, I didn't go to concerts. I was very quiet. So even in just like a very like casual way, like drag culture was never a thing that I was interested in. Um, uh, and I, I never, you know, like the only like experience I had, the only experience I had with like trans people were like these little bits and pieces and they were either like cis women as trans women or trans men or Buffalo Bill, you know, which is fine. Buffalo Bill is, you know, a very beautiful woman, but, you know, not really the sort of thing a 13-year-old watching Silence of the Lambs for the first time imagines her life to be. Um, <laughs> uh, that was all a joke. Um, did, I, did you see my tweet about fucking they should remake Silence of the Lambs with with a with a very passing Buffalo Bill so that it becomes ironic that she's I did. <laughs> I did. I actually love that idea. That's like a really so, so good to, idea. To finish the thought for any listeners. So the idea is like cast like Laverne Cox or like uh um uh what's her name? Patricia what? Um that comedian. Like pass somebody su Hari Neff. Oh. Hari Neff Hari um, Neff would be a perfect Buffalo Bill. Because it's like, like you got this really cis looking looking bitch, and it's like the person is like skinning skinning cis women to make like a suit for her to wear. And it's like, girl, you already look fish. Why are you why are you doing that? It would just be so it would be so funny. Um but um yeah. <laughs> No, that's an extremely good idea. Yeah. I support I've never actually seen Silence of the it's, Lambs. It's really um, um it's so fascinating. It's sort of it's this very bizarre and you know what, this is actually probably a perfect segue into a next topic of conversation, which is my relationship with movies. But um Silence of the Lambs is this is this really tragic coincidence of commercial horror thriller and Jonathan Demi because Buffalo Bill is sort of this freak that is both a grotesque vision of psychopathology coming straight from the horror thriller genre but he she is also Demi is so fascinated by Buffalo Bill, you can see. And, like, if you watch Jonathan Demi's other movies, he's always interested in, like, the weirdos and, like, and, like, the eccentrics. Um, and he, he'll, he'll populate his films with them. They always pop up in corners and whatnot. And so you can tell that he really is fascinated by, you know, by, like, the ring, by, like, goodbye horses, by, like, just everything about Buffalo Bill. And so... It's it's both easy to feel extremely uncomfortable with like how the film presents Buffalo Bill, but also like pretty easy to reclaim her as like you know 
what happens when you fail trans women, which is not what happens. Obviously, we don't all skin cis women alive. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, estrogen does a pretty good job. You know, if if Buffalo Bill had just gotten estrogen, her skin would have gotten so soft and she wouldn't have needed to skin all those cis women. That's what happens when you don't give trans women estrogen. You know, it's tragic. It's tragic. It really is. Have you heard? I this is the only Sufjan Stevens song I've like ever listened to. Have you heard the song? No, you know, I know exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think I may have listened to it like once, but it's like it's like a kind of good yeah. song. I don't know. Yeah. I, I like it. I think it's like. Isn't that how it goes with like, like fine. trans women in music? It's like. Like that, like all of Lou Reed's Candy Darling songs. It's like, they're kind of good, you know? They're, they're like, yeah. kind, they're pretty good. You'll listen to them because you get like that tiny little thrill when, you know, he says Candy's name. But like, you wish that it was as good as Candy Darling fucking was, you know? And it never is. Right. But I'm grumpy, I guess. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about movies. Unless you have anything else you want to bring up from my dark yeah. childhood. Well, no, that, that's. I think. I think that's basically like where I'm going with the next. Yeah. Book. That was that. Those are the rest of my notes. Are just like movies. Ask about movies, <laughs> and then also the thing that I remember we spent a lot of time the last time that we spoke talking about um, Marilyn. Monroe, yeah. So which I assume Marilyn Monroe connects up with the movies. Yeah. Now. Um. Marilyn Monroe, I've always loved her, apparently. I remember when I was 16. Bus Stop. Which is a terrible movie, by the way. Terrible movie. With one of the greatest scenes in all of cinema. Um, was on TV on the day of Marilyn Monroe's death anniversary. It was like 60 years or whatever. 50 years. And they were showing a bunch of Marilyn movies. And Bus Stop was on. And it was sort of on in the background. And then I clued in at one point. And it was late at night. And it was completely dark. And it was just this bright screen. Bright television screen. And there's a shot at the end of that movie. And you just see her face. Filling up most of the screen. And it's Bus Stop. So it's. It's a. It's a. It's. 2.55 2.55 to 1 aspect ratio, which is very wide, wider than most widescreen movies are nowadays. Um, and her face is just lying there, and she has so much emotion in it. And I remember thinking to myself about, like, Ingmar Bergman's belief in, like, cinema is the human face and everything like that. And um, I just remember thinking she really is one of the fucking greatest. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I watched her movies on and off and like, I really liked her at times. Um, it wasn't until I transitioned that I like seemed to have really, 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 really fallen into love with her. Although I did love her a lot. I've discovered Tumblr posts from before I transitioned where I was like, I love her, blah, 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 blah. Um, but yeah, I remember reading right after I transitioned, um, or or maybe not right after, but about six months, eight months, a year into transition, I remember 
I think it was a year into transition. I remember reading Sarah Churchwell's The Many Lives of Marilyn Monroe, which for anyone listening, the book on Marilyn Monroe, the one of the great cultural study books, period. Um, it has some flaws, but really astonishing work, really wonderful way of understanding how we think of celebrity and whatnot. But I remember reading it and becoming very emotional because I saw all these things about her that felt very identifiable for me as a trans woman. And Marilyn Monroe is not actually alone in this. Many, many stars of old Hollywood experience similar sort of personality and persona changes. But Marilyn was really interesting because she was the most drastic because as a femme, she was very excessive in her femininity. Um, she, um, there are stories of her where she loved to like look at herself in the mirror for long periods of time, which felt to me sort of like a AGP level of, you know, shallowness of uh of understanding what it means to look in the mirror and as somebody who like as i mentioned before like a lot of my understanding of gender came from looking in the mirror or understanding of myself came from looking in the mirror like it felt very i i identified with her a lot and um yeah the name change i remember i was like super giddy about the fact that we both were born with n names and transitioned to m names um, but, um, yeah, Marilyn, and then Marilyn is just, you know, she's a tragic figure and she's so vulnerable and so earnest that she invites a lot of sympathy from any audience. Um, but, um, yeah, there's just a lot about her that I identified with that I felt very, um, sincere about. And, and actually, I think the biggest part of it is when you do love Marilyn, you sort of reclaim her. You you desire to reclaim her from mythologies around her. That a movie like Blonde, for instance, really perpetuates the idea that we made her what she was and then destroyed her. And I I think that's a very um, reductionist and condescending perspective on Marilyn, because I think. I think it's important to recognize that she made herself what she was, just as trans women make themselves what they are. Um, you know, this excessive femininity, this this whole thing was was not something forced upon her. Um, it was not a pathology or anything like that. It was a deliberate decision, um, and she was very conscious about it. And although it hindered her career in certain ways, in other ways, um, she managed to do exactly what she wanted to do. And she, le she legally changed her name, for instance. Um, she, she quite literally felt herself to be Marilyn, not Norma Jean. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just very easy identification for trans women. Um, for for any sort of woman who who wants to purport ownership over her body and persona. Um, 
And then she, if if I haven't really gotten this across directly, she really is maybe the single greatest actress who's ever been on screen. Um, and uh, it's 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 ineffable. Um, it's this sort of thing. The the simplest the simplest easiest most reductionist way of putting it is she plays she plays um, she plays everything the opposite of how it should be and manages to do it correctly, which is to say she plays comedy tragically and tragedy comically, um, but the results are always exactly what you want. Like some like it hot, you know, she like, she really is selling it as like tragedy, but it's just such a funny film and she's so sincere about it that it comes off funny. But, um, but anyway, anyway, um, but yeah, what were you going to say? <laughs> I could, I don't um, know too long about Marilyn. Um, what was, well, no, I mean, I, <laughs> So when did you, how how did you actually sort of like come to the realization that you were a trans woman? I feel like we've done a lot of time talking about your like, a lot of this sort of like incohate. I can tell you exactly. Ideas that are floating around. I can tell you exactly how. Yeah. Um, I have a, yes. I have a, tell I have a exactly great how. story. It's really not. It's very typical yes. of okay. me. Okay. I'm so excited. There's a great detail in it. Um. <laughs> You watched no, the movie? No, 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 no. I, was, did you I was reading a book. <laughs> so, so okay. um, I'm a little manic. Um, that's an important thing to know about me. I get manic sometimes. And um, it was like two months into the pandemic, two or three months. I had, I was finally living on my own, or with a roommate, rather. Um, I was out of my parents' house. I felt like I was an adult to a certain extent. And I had like one or two articles of like very gender neutral sweaters, which I bought from the women's section. So I was starting my slow creep into into it already. But now me and my roommate at the beginning of the pandemic, we were like, we're here for the long haul. I don't know what we're going to do. And neither of us shaved for a really long time. And at a certain point, I had this, once again, very sparse, but big beard. And I looked in the mirror one day, and it was so bad, I had a little halo around my jaw from like how far down the hair was sticking. And I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. And I shaved. And, uh, and after I shaved, I like walked by a mirror and I didn't recognize myself. And that sort of sparked something in me. I like did not, I did not recognize this, this face anymore. And I was like, I, I can't keep growing this beard out. Um, and so that sort of like jolted me into something. And I kept thinking more and more about women's clothing and makeup and whatnot. And around the time I was reading Anne Bannon's 
lesbian pulp novels, the Bebo Brinker series. I'd read Odd Girl Out and I was reading the second one. And it has like a very pulpy plot line. Uh, Laura, the main character, moves to New York and is uh, trying to be a queer and whatnot. And I was getting really into it one night. Like really fucking into it. I was just like, starting to like vibrate with the energy of like, whoa, this, you know, the plot and everything. And the idea kept coming to mind. I was like, should I come out to my parents? Now, at the time, I still thought I was genderqueer. But I think I had, I think I bought at, by that point, like an article of clothing or something. Like that, like women's clothes. Like a genuine women's, women's clothing, not just like gender neutral. And, um... And I was reading this book, and I was just so excited. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fucking do it. And I called my parents and told them that I was trans. And I said I was trans because I did not care to explain to them that I was genderqueer. I just wanted to say, I'm, I'm going to be wearing women's clothes. I don't want you to see a picture of me one day and not know about it. And um, didn't go as well as I had hoped. But I finally did it. And um, it was very emotionally taxing. And from that point, that's when I started like wearing women's clothes and buying women's clothes. Um, and, uh, and then a couple weeks... And, and the biggest thing I remember was, I was like, okay, well, since I don't have a lot of women's clothes... I'm going to wear women's clothes part of the week and men's clothes the other half of the week. I'm going to do a little of each. And, um, and after like three days of wearing women's clothes, I looked at my men's clothes and I thought, I can never wear those fucking things again. I cannot do it anymore. And that sort of, a couple of weeks later, I came to the realization that I was just a woman, that I was trans, that I did not actually feel any affinity with masculinity or whatnot. Um, yeah. And the, the, um, the cherry on that is that the book I was reading when I had this manic episode, the title of it was I am a woman. So I quite literally transitioned because of a book called I Am a Woman. Without any without any sense of serendipity or irony. It sorta of, it didn't really occur to me the the funniness of that situation until after I had gotten off the phone with my parents. Um but yeah. So that's how I transitioned. Um it was like slowly and then all at once. It's interesting. You have all these sorts of like cultural signifiers, like pulp novels and Marilyn Monroe, like very yeah, it's a life um, not lived. Yeah. <laughs> um. Very like of a different generation. Yeah. But yeah. Um. um oh, and you yeah. know what? There's an entire theory of. 
one of the big things when I first transitioned, when I was first like coming, when I first started hormones, when I really f felt secure in that I was trans, that it wasn't a mistake in any way. Um, I got really into this idea of like movies that were trans without being trans. And the entire concept was like, transness is like, it's very, um, I don't know if I had read her at the time. I probably had. But it's that entire idea, you know, Andrea Longchu talks about it. But the idea that you're not trans because you're born in the wrong body. You're trans because you want to be the other gender. Um, that idea of like, and so I really latched on, as somebody who loved old Hollywood and whatnot, I really latched on to the idea of like, your you can make your fantasy a reality. And actually Candy Darling, of all people, talks about this too. She's talking about Picnic. She talks about how you can make your fantasy reality. You can live your fantasy. Um, I think that is something that really pulsates through the entire old Hollywood ideology. Um, and that I think is very compelling, especially for trans women. Um, I can't speak to trans men, obviously, but like, I think for a lot of trans women, we want to feel beautiful. We want to feel glamorous. We want to feel this. We want to feel that. And as I'm saying this, that's definitely, definitely not the case with some trans women I know who like being dirty little dykes or whatever. But, um, um, for me, at least as a femme woman, I like feeling beautiful. I like feeling glamorous. I think all the time of Marilyn and Ingrid Bergman and Candy Darling and, you know, like that is sort of the life I want to live more or less. Um, I hate pants. I love skirts. I like wearing makeup, you know, this, that I'm, I am, um, Oh, what was it? I'm, I'm without a doubt, a very regressive, gender um individual i really set the movement back quite a lot i'm a total sellout to patriarchal ideas of femininity um despite being a despite, lesbian despite being a lesbian like... well you know i'm a little bit of a i i uh, yeah no but um i know <laughs> i said so little just then <laughs> um <laughs> um okay. yeah it's just uh i don't know well you know the other thing is i got when i started working after the pandemic settled down i went from doing theater stuff to service industry because i just needed money and like a stable job and theaters were still no go and also like i lost a lot of muscle mass and a lot of the work I had been doing in theater was very labor intensive. And I discovered I really liked serving. I really liked like helping people. I really liked doting on people. Um, which again is like so gender regressive. It's like, it's like, you know, but like, I really like taking care of other people. Um, 
I don't think it's necessarily gender aggressive. I think that there's, you know, always a sort of, I mean, I, I suppose that there well, is. Well, the idea like that, a, like, women like to. The idea that women should be, that women should specifically do it, or that, like, doing it is a particularly feminine yeah. thing is maybe regressive. Sure, but, do, um, the actual doing of it, right. I don't know. Yeah, the actual doing of it is just, like, a thing yeah. that needs done. Yeah, yeah, You know? Um. Yeah, it is. It's very funny because now you don't really you don't really hear waiter and waitress much anymore. You hear server. I I, I still refer to oh no as for a sure like I much prefer I much server. prefer <laughs> saying I waitress uh, than saying I serve. Well, especially because yeah, I will never call myself well, a server because server also like, sounds like serving, so you know, but. <laughs> Right? Like, that's honestly, like, worse. I'm like, no, I'm a waitress. Like, I am... That, that, that to me, feels like there is a interaction that is less, like, um, oh, I'm just, like, you know, groveling <laughs> in front of these, like... Oh, my God. I had some fucking... I had some fucking... Some woman was very upset at um, me and my coworker yesterday um, because she lost her I purse. I saw about and that. She did not lose her purse in our restaurant. I... I knew as much and told her as much. And oh my goodness, I'm fuming. <laughs> I was fuming about it. She was her and her husband. Oh my goodness. Neither, not, not, not the time. Yeah. No, people can suck. It's really. I well, and you know, I like. Yeah, but that is that is me. That is me being a. That is me being a wait a waitress, right. right? That is not me serving. I was out there to just serve her. If I was just serving her, I would have been like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." You yeah. Can't no, that's. A, I that's was a like, "No, really it's not here because you're because <laughs> you're because right. you're wrong." Um, that's a funny little point. I, it's it is so difficult. I don't even know. Well, and it's so funny too because I think <laughs> I don't. I don't know nearly as many trans waitresses as I would have thought, um, you know, because it is such a easy, not an easy job, but an easily accessible job um, that, that pays money. Um, and, you know, trans women are allegedly supposed to be, you know, not very employable and kind of impoverished or whatnot, but I don't come across them often. and. Um, it's always I think I think people are always very surprised that I waitress and that I like it. Because I think I think there is a sort of social anxiety that comes along with the idea of like talking to dozens and dozens of people every day as a trans woman. Um but Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's I mean, there's one like the thing, like you do get a lot better at all the things that go into passing, right. um, from doing it. Like when I, I very quickly like went from like just not getting gendered correctly at work to pretty much exclusively getting gendered correctly mm. at work, just because you sort of figure it out. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've I um, <laughs> I don't know. No, that was, no, that was no, and that makes sense. It's very. <laughs> It's always very interesting who genders you correctly and who doesn't. Um, it's, yeah, it's almost—it's really funny. It was always—it's—it's—it's it's, it's really funny to me. It does still happen sometimes where customers will start off gendering me incorrectly and then will start gendering me correctly. Do you it's feel? Very... 
Um, do you feel um? Do you feel like you're very passing? Do you think in um, terms of passing much? Not to turn this on its head. I don't mean to interview you, but but do you? Not like um, not really particularly. I just sort of at this point, like I I truly have no. Have I told you my story of like the first time I passed? To no. Let's okay. hear it. Um, I think I've told this story on. I think I've told this story on air before, so I'll apologize. No, it's a very funny story. Again. Um, I had to file divorce papers on behalf of my girlfriend. Oh, like you're um, not. You didn't get divorced. It was like divorced. I was not the one being divorced. I've never been married. My girlfriend had to file some divorce papers. Um, and there were like still COVID mitigation protocols and so on in place. So there was this like whole thing where you had to like get the a paper signed by someone in one part of the county courthouse and then take it to someone in another part of the part of the county courthouse. And the first office, they were like doing like a Dropbox system where it was like you would go, you drop it off, you'd come back a day later, they'd have it signed for you, and you would take it, and then you would go take it to the other part of the building and give it to them. And my girlfriend had like basically like the timing worked out so that like it was like this Friday was like the last possible day to file to file her response to petition or whatever, or else the divorce would be settled in like default judgment against her. Um so her ex husband would have gotten all the stuff. And Obviously, she did not want that. I did not want that. That would have been a really fucked up situation. So she was trying to, she she basically, she went down there early in the morning before she had to go into work to pick up the paper from the one room and take it to the other room to, like, file her response. And she got there, and they had not, like, put out their Dropbox stuff for the day. And so she was just, like, she waited around, but then she had to go into work, and she was like, can you go do this for me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't really, like, I was like, I'm just going to the courthouse. I'm not going to see anyone I need to impress or anything. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to go wearing literally, like, gray sweatpants and, like, a white tank top. Like, like a, like a, like a wife beater. What people yes. call a wife beater, right? Literally wearing this. <laughs> and I get down there and I get the paper from the place and I go to take it down to the other place and they're like and it's like three o'clock in the afternoon at this point uh no it's like four it's four o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday and I'm like I get down there and I'm like hey I need to file this you know petition for divorce or whatever and they're like all right do you have can you like pay the hundred dollar fee or whatever it was and I'm like, yeah, do you take card? And they are like, we stopped taking card at 3.30 in the afternoon. And I'm like, what do you mean you stop taking card at 3.30 in the afternoon? And they're like, sorry, you're going to have to go get cash or a check. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't have a checkbook. I was like, where's an ATM? And they like gave me some directions. I was not, I didn't listen to their directions. <laughs> but basically, I had to spend like 20 minutes like running around downtown in like this incredibly like uncomfortable, it was like the perfectly wrong temperature where like, because I was wearing sweatpants and like a, you know, like a white tank top, I was like 
my upper half was like really cold but my bottom half was really sweaty i was like so uncomfortable this entire time and i just like was running around i'm not athletic at all i like cannot run i cannot run at all and i was like i was doing this and i found the i found an atm i got the money i went back i filed and they were gendering me correctly the entire time and i was like this is so strange. And like on the one hand, I had like a piece of paper that I don't I think they probably just assumed I was whoever right. was on the paper. And like it was I don't I don't think it I mean like I had my girlfriend's name, which is a, a woman's name on it. But I think also just like um what woman would not look like shit <laughs> filing for divorce <laughs> at four thirty in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon. That's right? Like that's just like peak time for like some shit's going on so i assume i assume i don't know for sure but to my mind i was like this makes sense which is to say that i just like have no i feel like that experience and then just like i feel like i have no barometer for like what how other people are sort of like recognizing my gender i do pass most of the time like in terms of like strangers are calling me she or whatever yeah i mean that's that's um, one of the it does still happen every once in a while they'll get like a he or something if i like say something or, like talking really fucking kills for it. some reason they just, they just start it's yeah. so funny people will like look at me and and like but like i have i have coworkers who are cis women who have like much deeper much more like Right, Sound like a man's well, it's just, voice. It's just so I funny because people will look at like, me and like nothing. I dr- I like at work, like I dress pretty, pretty elegantly. In so far as like, you know, long skirts, snug tops. My tits are always out. Um, my hair is always down. I wear a mask half the time. Usually have eyeliner on. They'll look at me, and they will absolutely, they'll think lady, they'll think girl, and then the minute I open my mouth, it's like they have to, like, you know, something about it, you know, it's just is like, oh yeah, that's a man, because, because of the voice. And so I'll get, like, him or sir, and never maliciously. But like it'll just slip out, and it's just so funny to me how that, how that like happens in their brain, where they like, it's the impulse to say he or him or sir, despite yeah. despite all visual, yeah, like a yeah, lot of despite sir. all visual conflict. There was a there was a customer. There was a customer a few weeks ago that was, like, giving me sir, like, a lot. Like, he was one of those guys that said sir at uh, the end of every sentence. And I was, like, if it, I, like, had, a, like, another table come in right after him. And I, like, <laughs> made sure, like, when I, I, like, made sure I didn't tell him my name for some reason. I think just, like, you know, sometimes, I don't know, do you tell customers your name when you're serving, um, when you're waitressing? Yeah, I, I used to, I think. I usually do, but like sometimes I won't. But I, I didn't, I hadn't told him my name. I hadn't told him my name. And then the next table, I like was really like, <laughs> said like very loudly so that he could hear. I was like, my name is Jolene. And then like for the rest of our interactions, instead of sir, it was my, my friend. friend. <laughs> I was uh, just, that's like, 
<laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm glad you're like opting for like a safe. I'm like, okay, you you clearly like were like, I gotta find a safe option because I don't understand. One time, what's going. I uh, walked a big table <laughs> oh. to, I walked a big party to their table, and one guy at the back of the group had been like distracted or everything, and they were, and he never really looked at me, and um, they all sat down, and. He said, thank you, sir. <laughs> and, and I think he literally just, all he heard was my voice. He didn't see anything. He just heard my voice. Wasn't even thinking about it. And one of the other women at the table was like, ma'am, you know, like corrected him. Um, and was like, you know, clearly. And it's so funny because um, sometimes I'm very good at playing it off. Um uh, I, like once or twice when somebody's accidentally called me sir or something and then realized their mistake I I said something like don't worry I confuse a lot of people um, but it's uh, it's it really is just funny well and then I get you know I the worst is when you fucking get somebody who's like who makes a martyr out of you is like, you know, like you're so brave or you're so beautiful or like the most recent one was somebody, this older cis woman said, you have a beautiful voice. And I was really taken aback because um, it was when she was leaving. So like it was sort of out of nowhere. And she was like, you have a beautiful voice. And for a second, I was just like, oh, that's funny. I think I have a horrible voice um and then she said use it and i like had i didn't understand at first and then i was like was that like a political thing was that like and i just felt like i was like oh so she really doesn't think i have a beautiful voice but um yeah just like so like i hate that shit i hate that shit so much just because it's like so like I don't know. It just feels so phony. I don't know. Not that they're being phony. I'm sure they're very... One woman almost started crying because <laughs> I, I was so beautiful and was living my life and blah, blah, blah. Literally, like, tears in her eyes. And I was like, I need to get away from here. Like, I don't know what's going on. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, surely there's some tragic backstory or something that makes it all understandable but i didn't stick around long enough to know but um yeah dealing with people is funny and the bat oh my god no some shit now to turn this into shit cis people say the best all-time best was when my coworker said i couldn't say faggot because i wasn't a gay man and i was like i was <laughs> i was like and she's a very sweet girl. She was very innocent about it. It was just so funny because she's a cis woman. And I was like, I was like, honey, who do you think? Who, who do you think gets called faggot more? The guy in jeans and a t-shirt who fucks his husband at the end of the night or the fucking 510 tranny? One of my friends sent me this like old vine. Um, I mean, all vines are old. Sent me a vine yesterday, though, that was like, um, 
this guy who was like, I'm going to wear women's clothes for a day to figure out, to un- go undercover to figure out what women, what women deal with. And then, you know, <laughs> smash cut. <laughs> I've discovered that women are called faggot a lot. <laughs> I've seen that one. That's so good. It's so good. Uh, well, and you know, that's the thing too, is that I, I don't really get called. Here's actually an important thing. This is really relevant to me, and I hope it doesn't sound like, like this, like there is one Twitter account who is like, you know, if trans women don't have to be angry at me for, um, just because I'm a beautiful passing woman, you know, like they don't. Oh, they don't I have saw to, that like, yesterday. Not to, not to, you know, talk about that too much. But, you know, so hopefully I don't come off that way when I say I've experienced proportionately very little hate criming of any sort, whether it's one thing or another. It's happened to me a couple of times. Um, yeah. Never, never anything very serious. I, 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 I just seem to always be in the right place at the right time to avoid any, any issues. And nobody's ever really ever gotten like angry at me. I've never been confronted. I, I go into women's bathrooms all the time. Sometimes I straight up pee in stalls where you can see that I'm clearly not sitting, you know, um, (laughs) and I've, I've never, I've never gotten any guff about it. And, um, but at the same time, I don't fancy that I am particularly passing um, any more than the average trans woman. Um, yeah. I truly and, have no idea. I mean, it's... Well, and that's know. the other thing. You know, you you can get... You can go through your day and never once be called sir or anything like that and have everybody never miss a beat. But everybody still knows you're trans. But you yeah. can't tell. You know, that's the thing. It's like, like everybody can right. be well, normal about it. Yeah, right. It's so hard to tell, like, if... And especially, I feel like, in the South, where my assumption is that there's, like, transness is not on people's radar. Um, right. That's the other More thing. often than other places. But I don't know. It's... I have no idea. Um, well, it was always very strange to me because I would be in Milwaukee and basically have no issues. And then I would be reading tweets from people in New York and everybody would be like, uh, yeah, I got called faggot, this, that, and the other thing. Like they, like, yeah, I've, the only time I've ever, the only time I've ever been called faggot and it's not even clear if I was the one being called faggot because I was with, a friend who actually is a faggot. <laughs> yeah, maybe they were the faggot. <laughs> right? But, the, like, it happens way more in Pittsburgh than it does in Memphis. Um, I don't... Under, like, I get catcalled in Memphis. Like, here. Yeah. Um, that's not the other super thing. frequently, but it does happen. Like, I will have, like... Fuck, what was it? There was, like, one day I was, like, leaving work. I had to stop at, like, a gas station, and some dude was, like you're looking sexy and i was like i literally just got off work i look like shit shut the fuck up <laughs> it's very... like you just look like like you just look like an idiot right now it's very uh very strange yeah i get i get guys come yeah i've had a couple of people on like subways say things to me and uh you know flirty things 
And I, I, the worst thing is, is that I know, I can't tell whether they know or not, but I know that if I open my mouth, they will know. And, um, and I get nervous. Um, but yeah, it's, a uh, it's difficult. It's very difficult. Um, trying to figure out what other people are thinking. Um, and then, you know, yeah. it's, it's like, like if yeah, I, I say really I don't, know. right. It's like so impossible. But like, if I say that I don't pass, I can sleep at night, but if somebody else says I don't pass, it just feels so bad. One of the funniest, oh my God, I have to tell the story. I was working one time with someone who I don't usually work with. They worked at another store um, of this like small chain I used to work at. And, um, and we were working an event at a college and they and I went to use the porta potty, and uh, and I came back and they were like, "So how was the porta potty?" You know, deciding whether they wanted to use it or not. And I said it was surprisingly clean. You know, I mean, I don't have to sit down to pee, so your mileage may vary, but like it was pretty clean for a porta potty. Uh, and she was like, "Oh," and then she was like, "Wait, what?" And I was like, "What?" And she was like, "Yep," and I was like, I, "You know, I'm trans, right?" And there was like a pause and she was like, I mean, I, I thought that perhaps, and then there's another beat. It was the shoulders. And, uh, yeah, just like <laughs> one of the fucking sickest fucking, oh my God, like the most cis fucking things to say. It was it was the shoulders. And I was like, <laughs> oh, and it was so funny too because for a really long time I never looked at my shoulders bad. I loved my shoulders. I loved wearing like off shoulders. Yeah, I and everything like I, that. I've read at some point like early in transition. I was like going through archive dot org reading like old like female mimic i think it was female mimics international or something like that and there was like course, some article mimics international <laughs> there was some article that was like broad shoulders are actually hot and that just like flipped the switch in my head and i was like okay i don't have any problems with my shoulders anymore <laughs> and i well, haven't said you know what the thing is i i think air broad shoulders are hot um yeah with yeah uh, no with the right styling like, i hate yeah bad looks though i hate them no exactly like so many people like literally okay if you are a trans woman listening to this get yourself a fucking halter top that shit is just like oh my god halter top you're gonna look so hot hair. you're gonna look so hot it's so comfy fucking do it yeah i uh just get yourself a halter top yeah yeah i i 100 <laughs> 100%, 100% agree. Um, yeah, I, um, God, I hope summer comes soon. Um, yeah, and that's the thing, too, is that now, so to, you know, to sort of be a little more on topic, so forever ago, before I transitioned, I never wore shorts, I hated showing my body, everything like that, everything was baggy. Now, everything I wear is 
like skin tight unless it's a skirt. And even those sometimes are skin tight. I love showing my body off. I hate being in baggy clothes. Um, and uh, yeah, total difference. I mean, you know, like if, if, well, no, I mean, sometimes during last summer, I mean, I would go over to the corner store with like no pants on and just like a long shirt on, um, for instance, or I would go, I, geez, fucking all of Milwaukee was subjected to me in my bralette and booty shorts last summer. <laughs> Just like wearing yeah. virtually nothing. I, I felt great. Never had a moment's hesitation as long as I was like properly. I mean, as long as I had shaved and had like showered, I usually had like no insecurity whatsoever about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I hate I hate not being aware of like little things like but but otherwise I love like exposing my body to to random strangers. I love being the center of attention. <laughs> um yeah. I mean, you know, in a very like it, again, like I'm very I'm so regressive. I really I really give AGP some real like some real case studies, you know. Um, but yeah, there's uh, and even at work, I you know, I mean, my, one time at work, this cis girl, I was wearing this like tight, clingy top, and you could see my nipples. It was like this bright orange shirt. And my, you could see my nipples through it, basically, when the light was on it correctly. And the cis girl was like, oh my gosh, our nipples look the same. And all I remember thinking was, aw, poor girl has tranny nipples. Babe, <laughs> you need to, you need to, you need to get some, um, I don't know what you need, but I want better for you. <laughs> For me? Yeah. No, no. No, I love my nipples. Don't get me wrong, but it was just, okay. it was just it was just like you know, it's just it's so funny. Well, especially that yeah. early cuz I I had only been on hormones at that point for like 6 months or so. Um and so to have like a cis girl be like we have the same nipples. It was honestly just like really drunk. Like I was at work and suddenly she says we have the same nipples. <laughs> that isn't it that is an incredibly out of pocket thing. Yeah. To say. I mean, you know, it was great. I love it. But um, <laughs> at work. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um It's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, as you can see, I'm so problematic. Um as the longer this okay. goes the longer this goes on, the more cancelable I'm gonna get. Um but um, <laughs> we're just going to keep going. That's kind of the goal of I'm really surprised I haven't been canceled yet. I'm like really trying to. <laughs> well, I mean, the, with the, the podcast the podcast is called when a guy has a really fucked gender. So, it, yeah, it, I feel like those... I'm going to I feel like I'm going to eventually. Um, Like I'm going to do something. I don't know what yet. It might be like. Oh, well, it also takes two. But I keep like saying things. <laughs> 
but well, it takes two to tango too it's like it's not like you have like a monologue yeah. where you just like say whatever like like there's somebody <laughs> like there's somebody else who always can be like whoa you went a little too far i mean what's your what's your most controversial cancelable opinion uh mine is that i'm a man in women's clothing that's not really i don't really think that now i you know that's the problem um, that's the problem with bio i don't know i don't know but like yesterday yesterday i was like i wish the podcast was like more diverse in terms of age and then i was like yeah i like want to talk to some older people but i also like want to talk to a child and now i have like three <laughs> people that are like hey do you want to talk to my little brother and i'm like how old's your little brother and they're like 15 and i'm like yes but also i don't know if I, what i'm like it? yes but also i don't know how to talk to a 15 year old i'll talk to a 15 year old no, but that's really interesting because it's like it is really interesting. I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm going to do it. I just have to like sit down and like I want to like write out like a document for myself just so that like I yeah, know maybe a bit more structure. what I'm like going in for and that I can be like responsible because I don't want to just like yeah. Well, it's also like the ethical <laughs> like, the ethical issues yeah. of like having a 15 year old talk about themselves. Um. Well, and you, but yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting because I work actually with a trans sixteen-year-old. He just turned sixteen, okay. and that's a really interesting experience because he's so chill about it in a way that I am not. Um, and it's a uh, he's he's such a slut, man. <laughs> he's such as he's he's always talking about girls he's like talking to he's like girls are so mean he's so funny he's like such a little dude he's such a little yeah but um total sweetheart i love him um this is what this is what i'm gonna cancel for i'm gonna get canceled for <laughs> I'm laughing at you calling your 16 year old coworker a slut. <laughs> you re- oh my god, he's you know. I mean, <laughs> you can you can censor that out afterwards. No, but man, you. I'm not censoring you, that. You gotta. You, I, I. I. You know. I stand by it. We. You know. He's such a. He's such a. He's such a player. He's. He really is. I mean, you know, it's the funniest thing, too. He's like, he like whips out like, you know, it was it's so funny because I never had a job at 16. So I don't really I don't really know how I would have acted around like 20, 20 something year olds when I was that age. But he really just like whips out like. Like bad language and is always, you know, like. He's yeah, so he's such a dude, you know, he's like literally like not an ounce of you know if you believe in this sort of stuff there's not an ounce of female socialization in him whatsoever he's just all swagger he's so funny that rolls he's so that funny rolls. i love him um but every time every every time i go to work with him he's got another girl story to talk about it's so funny it's so funny He's got that's so funny. There was this um there was a um I had a coworker for a while. Well, so I 
didn't actually know. So I only overlapped with him very briefly, but my girlfriend worked with him for a while. And he would like be constantly like telling stories about girls. And after like, he was like 17 or so, um, cis kid, cis boy, 17, he'd be constantly telling stories about girls. And then like after like a couple of months, they like found out that this, that all these girls were actually the same girl. And he's like been in a relationship for three years. <laughs> just like very cute to be like i don't know this like guy that's like trying to act like a player and is actually just like a dedicated boyfriend that's so beautiful to like impress all these like mid-20s like queer people <laughs> that are working at this vegan restaurant <laughs> that's funny would you yeah do you ever like well you're you're in a relationship aren't you yeah I have a couple of times in my life. I don't know why I said in my life. A couple of times in the last year or two, I've like been talking to people who were like straight. And I've been like, I could detransition for you. Like that that went through my mind. I was like, <laughs> or no, the most recent one was like a I have a crush on a coworker who's gay. And I was like, do you think he'd be he, he could make an exception for me? Because I'm, like, kind of a boy, you know? Like, one time I was talking to a girl, and she was like, yeah, I just see you entirely as, like, a woman. Like, like I don't think of you at all as a guy. And in my brain, I'm like, not even a little? Like, what? That's crazy. I'm like a boy in a dress. What are you talking about? Little things like that. But you know what? Actually, an interesting subject. I had been off consistent hormone regimen the last three or four months. Um, and it did some, it kind of, I know I sound kind of like I'm insecure about my gender, but I'm actually pretty secure in it. But like being off hormones for a while really sort of did a number on like my mental health regarding that um even though like i you know like nothing really changed as far as i'm aware except internally um but th it was interesting how how much that played into my self-conception um of like my gender and like my gender security um just the idea that there was testosterone developing in me really upset me. Actually, NSFW, whatever, not not safe for work. Am I allowed to be not safe for work on this podcast? Can I tell a? Oh, <laughs> can I tell? Extremely. <laughs> one, this is a really, this is a really great psychosexual moment for all you freaks out there. One time, I had been, I had been off hormones. Oh, no, you know what happened? I hadn't had a shot in, like, almost two months, I think. Six weeks or something. And I finally got to do my shot. And then, like, three days later, I jerked off. And I don't... I, I, I understand that this is variable for every trans one. But when I was on hormones for a really long time, I stopped ejaculating when I came, when I orgasmed. 
Um, and which was great for me because it's a fucking mess, you know. It's just such a mess to clean up after yourself. Um, and I, I, I just, I was so bad about anyway. Um, but so I jerked off like three days after I did my shot. Finally, thank you to Hannah and Emily for providing me my shot that time. Um, and I jerked off and I, and I ejaculated and I got really upset about it. And I remember thinking, damn, if I hadn't just had my shot, I probably would have been like 10 times as upset about it because it felt to me like I was regressing back into a man. Um, and it's a, I, yeah, I, it's just, that's such an easy way of like literally seeing the effects of testosterone in your body, or at least in my body. That it was, it was very like distressing to me that I did come or that I shot ropes or whatever you want to call it. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, like I really, and I don't have like bottom dysphoria really or anything like that. Like I wish I had a pussy, but like, I don't, I don't like, like dwell on it at length. Um, it's like something that would be nice, but it's not at the top of my thing, but, but yeah, coming like, like that was, that was so unpleasant. Um, so sad, but I'm back on a normal hormone regimen and, uh, the cum is gone, but, but yeah, no, just the entire time was like, it was very, very frustrating. I I started noticing towards the end of the drought that I was like hornier, that I was like hornier for random people more and more, like in an aggressive way, where I was just like intrusive into my brain, which I didn't like. Because being on, and I don't think this is a gender thing as much as like a like a my relationship with my body and my sexuality as a teenage boy way. Cause I had a very shame filled relationship with sexuality as a teenager. But, um, when I started hormones and like, I got less aggressively horny and like less, um, Oh, and I was getting, I was getting, uh, what's it called? Hard ons. What do you call it? Spontaneous hard ons or whatever more and more yeah oh my god the fucking worst like literally like no yeah worst invention ever but um yeah just little things like that that were like signposts that like my body was yeah it's so distressing it's so frustrating the way that we like yeah the way that we allow other people to dictate the terms of our body Um, but yeah, now I've been back on hormones and I feel so much better. So, uh, big W for synthetic estrogen. Do you ever think about that fact? Do you ever think about that, listeners to this podcast, if you're still with us? About the fact that, like, (laughs) like, like, synthetic estrogen is only 80 years old. As we know it. It's like, like, before that. Like, I was reading Our Lady of the Flowers yeah. of the Jean Genet book, and I'm like, 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 uh, what's her name? 
um, divine does not have access to synthetic hormones. Like, how are we conceiving of her in our brains? Because, like, you know, like, I think I am like, yeah, she's Candy Darling. Candy Darling plays Divine. Um, and it's like, n well, no, Candy at least had access to hormones and whatnot. Um, yeah, but, like, yeah, World War II, they were like, well, let's make horse piss into synthetic estrogen for all those menopausal women that's the other thing is that thank god for menopausal women else we wouldn't fucking have estrogen synthetic estrogen little things like that it's really fascinating all these little yeah things menopausal women and impotent men <laughs> right yeah yeah, we got the you know we we stand on the shoulders <laughs> of um freaks. <laughs> um, yeah, for right. Real. Like all these like weird sexologists in the early twentieth century who were like, right, were like absolutely like sort of like ideologically like so committed to like sort of like the cis like cis heterosexual patriarchal family or whatever, right. Yeah. But um, who just like could not stop paying attention to all these little freaks who like in doing so laid the groundwork for the freaks to get so much so much freakier. Yeah. It well and yeah, the whole hormone debate is so fascinating. The way that you know, like, is it really it? Like the the biggest things about it are like the I mean even like. Oh, so, like, last year, uh, last January, I hooked up with a pre-transition trans femme. She hadn't been on hormones or anything. She, she was really cute. Um, and when I went down on her, I was like, oh, she smells like a boy. That's right. That's what not being on estrogen does you know boy in quotations you know but she has that testosterone smell and i and i mm -hmm. hate that smell but at the same time it was interesting well it was especially interesting because like i had hooked up with this guy the month before in a moment of like desperation just to do something with my life and i hated it and i kind of gagged on him and whatnot like I really wasn't into it and that was barely for like five minutes and then with this with this trans femme who you know wasn't on estrogen or anything like that um I went down on her for like a half hour without gagging at all and uh and loved it and it was just it was just fascinating how much like that internal conception of gender and and the active interest in someone changes the way that your body reacts to somebody else things like that i think there's a lot of yeah a lot of interconnection between sexuality and gender of course i am the first person to ever think of that uh really uh, <laughs> uh but you know 
Yeah, but that's like, like exactly true, right? The sort well, of and, yeah. And is that not the Ouroboros moment of this entire conversation? Is that my I knew I wanted to be a lesbian before I knew I wanted to be a woman. You know, I wanted to be a woman yeah. who loved other women. Um and uh and going down on this pre estrogen trans femme who smelled like boy was like that sort of completion moment where it's like I am a woman because she is a woman, you know, sort of thing, sort of hocus pocus, gobbledygook, you know, I don't know. I'm always narrativizing. Nothing means anything, actually. But, but yeah. Yeah. We've been going for like almost two hours at this point. Yeah, well, I can go. I, you know, I can, I, I can talk. No, I think we've, I think we, we've reached the Ouroboros moment. Yeah. We've, we've put a, we've put a, we put a good cap on this conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, I just want to, I want to leave the audience with one last thing. Um, the, the movie Notorious by Alfred Hitchcock, um, was made in 1946. Um, Ingrid Bergman, if you watch it, I want you to watch it with in mind that Ingrid Bergman is a trans woman and Claude Rains is her trans mask husband who chaser Cary Grant is cuckolding. Um, I want you to look at it through that through that lens and uh, you will you will not be disappointed. It's a very cohesive text in that way. Okay. Just the just the most important okay. thing to me, honestly, is is refound founding the uh, the idea that trans movies are just trans movies. No, but it's it's so funny. It's you got it, Jolene. You got to watch that movie and just think, Cary Grant is a chaser for Ingrid Bergman, and Claude Rains, who is shorter than Ingrid Bergman, is is her trans mask husband the entire movie pops into place. It's a better movie that way, honestly. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. Hell Thanks yeah. for having me on. Thank you for coming on. This was so much oh, fun. This was good. so great. Yes. We'll we'll have to do it again soon sometime. Yeah. So you can come back. Actually, you know what? Maybe I'll do that as like one of the Patreon episodes. Okay. I'll watch Notorious. <laughs> and in... we can we can well, we could do like an audio commentary where like we watch it and like record our thoughts. <laughs> and uh Yeah. Do like a yeah, like a like a director's, director's yeah. commentary. Yeah. I mean I tell you, yeah. it's just it's just so Oh my god, at one point Ingrid Bergman steals Claude Rains's key and it's like wow, it's like she's stealing his dick cuz she's a trans woman and he's trans mask. It's like like of course he would steal his key, you know. It's just how anyway. It's just so latent, it's so potent. It's also a great movie. Yeah. Tune in next right. time well, for uh, when a guy has to... a fucked gender and keep your eyes out for the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> Hijacking the, the Patreon. The Patreon. What did I say? 
the podcast. <laughs> this is the podcast. This, this is the podcast. Keep your yes. eyes out for the Patreon. Tune into the Patreon. <laughs> Tune into the Patreon for when a guy does film criticism <laughs> with Joe and Molly. Um, who knows what'll happen? Maybe we'll call a sixteen-year-old a slut oh, again. No. Maybe. Wow. <laughs> you know, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being sixteen in the slut. I think we need to rehabilitate. <laughs> no, <laughs> I support him. I He's support so him important. So He's much. so important. He's. I. I stand. I stand. He could do nothing he, wrong. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but he's always like. <laughs> Girls, man, they're wild. They're so crazy. <laughs> and we're like, I love that. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> happy new year. All right. <laughs> thank you. As always, thank you to Molly for joining us. Thank you to the audience for listening to this wild two hours. Um, thank you to Lynn July for our intro and outro music. Check out the Patreon, subscribe, leave reviews, tell a oh, friend. Oh, you can follow me. You can follow, follow me at Delphic Bitch on Twitter. Yeah, I'll put a I'll put a link in the episode description to your Twitter. Yeah, I don't think like anyone's that. making it to the end of this episode. <laughs> Someone's going to. No, like like like. I think Alice though. might make it. I don't know. Does Alice listen regularly? Alice, if you listen regularly, you do hear me say this message. Alice me. will listen because she'll be so interested to see if I have any insightful <laughs> things to say. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, that's it. Bye. Yeah, wait, how do I end this recording? Fuck. Okay.